Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. It was more than 150 years ago that the poet and novelist Heinrich Heine made a comment that used to remind me of St Paul's when I was on the staff here. His comment sounds curiously contemporary. People in those old times, he wrote, had convictions. We moderns only have opinions. And it needs more than an opinion to erect a cathedral. It often occurred to me as I spent time over 12 years in this astonishing building that unusually for English cathedrals which have often been built over centuries with a mixture of architectural styles, our cathedral is of course the realised vision of one person, albeit compromised by the ecclesiastical politics of his day, but the realised vision of Christopher Wren built under his direction in a short 35 years. And for those of us who've had the privilege of being part of the life of this place, we know that we live with the huge opportunities, but also the challenges that Wren would have recognized as he planned and built his basilica, his dome within a dome, his dramatic east end, and his spacious light nave. It took enormous and enduring conviction to rebuild this place after the fire of London. And so the contrast that Heinrich Heine makes is a vivid one for this cathedral particularly. The annual Friends Festival Evensong is an opportunity to thank God for the extraordinary gift of the life of this place and to thank you, the Friends of St Paul's, for your love, your energy, your resources, your commitment to this high place set on the low hill of Ludgate, an indispensable part of London's skyline and a house of prayer for all nations. A chance to say thank you, yes. It's also a chance to consider what it is that we're up to as a community that in this generation is caring for this cathedral. And the place to start is with the scripture for today, set for today's Evensong. Isaiah has a typically robust message for anyone involved in a high place such as this. God has brought low the inhabitants of the height, he says. The lofty city he lays low, he lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. And St. Paul's incomparable imagery stands out from his letter to the Romans, that the whole creation waits with eager longing. The whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And that the spirit intercedes for us when we have no words, with sighs too deep for words. This scripture gives us clues, gives us guidance in how to handle one of the fundamental challenges that we face as friends 
both informal and formal, of St Paul's Cathedral, along with anyone involved in organised religion today. In a society where the majority of people live their lives without reference to the church, and where we can no longer assume the fundamentals of Christian faith are known or recognised, what is the vocation of our cathedrals, built not on opinion, but by conviction? Is it as it has always been, or has it changed? And how can we as its friends contribute to the fulfilling of that vocation? The University of York Centre for Christianity and Culture recently carried out a three-year project with four sample cathedrals. It was a study of modern-day pilgrimage. Why do people get up, get out, and make a journey to a place like this? And what do they find when they get here? When asked, some of the top responses were, I felt a sense of wonder and awe. I felt peaceful and removed from the stresses of everyday life. I felt a sense of not belonging and connectedness with the past. I experienced a sense of being close to God. And when they were asked to put this into their own words, they said things like this. I thought about my life the significance of other people's contributions. I walked around enjoying the peace, the mosaics, and the organ music. I sat to reflect on those dear to me, the ones who are dead and the ones who are alive. These are tender thoughts, precious memories. They are opening lines of a conversation with God. And this project also identified some principles that cathedrals embody that seem to have particular power when set alongside other sorts of places that people might want to come to. One of those principles is a slightly clumsy phrase, but one that might bear some reflection this afternoon. Cathedrals, they said, are places that embody what they called the potency of adjacency. That within a cathedral at any one time on any one day, even while the cathedral is fulfilling its primary purpose of offering worship to God, like now, several purposes, many layers of interpretation are simultaneously held together, next to each other, adjacent, neighborly, and that this, far from being a competitive problem on a busy cathedral floor, was a potent and evocative, distinctive feature of the public sacred space that a cathedral is. So while it may have taken colossal and singular conviction to get this cathedral built in the first place, and while it takes huge continuing conviction to keep it open, flourishing and welcoming, Adjacent to this conviction, there is room, especially for people who are much less certain, much less convinced. 
A cathedral in this way is intimately involved in primary mission. It's a home of prayer for every inhabitant of the diocese. It's a house of prayer for all the nations in London and beyond. And so it is possible, even and perhaps especially surrounded by the convictions of a valorized past, to, as St. Paul says, admit that we're human beings and that we quite often simply don't know what to pray. The truth is, most of the time, we're not so much full of conviction as questions, less convinced than curious. We often just don't have the words. We're full of longing and regret and inarticulate hope. And we come to a place like this that seems so certain, so convinced, to be held in that very human uncertainty. The potency of adjacency is an interesting idea for cathedrals, it seems to me, because it captures something that's attractive to a contemporary mindset that wants to hold multiple purposes together. And this potency of adjacency is also there in the people we welcome. The doors open each day and people just come. Why they come is not always apparent, sometimes not even to them, but they do come looking for an experience that's authentic, hoping to see something amazing, hear something out of the ordinary and beautiful, wanting somewhere to be overwhelmed, to pray. And a single person can hold different motivations and identities simultaneously, as easily as walking down the central aisle. The old adage, is one that I am challenged by myself when I visit cathedrals, rather sharply expressed in the phrase, I am a pilgrim, you are a visitor, he is a tourist. This principle of adjacency can be about who I am when I'm here. I might walk in as a tourist because I've heard that the view from the stone gallery is amazing, I become a pilgrim when I see the Holman Hunt painting and I think of my grandmother who loved that picture and who showed me that there's no outside handle on the door. I think of her and I wonder if there is a God and just in case there is, I say thank you, light a candle and pledge myself to live more generously. The spiritual discipline that cathedrals can offer is the commitment to fold all of these crowds, these people and this experience into the meaning itself, not to see them as spoilers of a privatized spiritual high. It's really not easy to do this, but to be committed to this shared sacred space mitigates powerfully and importantly against a prevailing culture that says, my spiritual life is mine and mine alone and I don't need to deal with my neighbor, especially when they're not doing what I want them to do. You will all know, as I do, the way that the light falls in this place early in the morning. It is truly sacred space indeed.
but for most of the day, all day and every day. It's shared, public, sacred space. Divine and human, pilgrim and tourist. This is a hugely powerful and instructive dynamic to learn because it's a potent reminder that our life is given to us as a gift by God. We don't own it or control it. And that fundamentally, our lives are lived together, not apart. And so I end where I began, with the scripture embedded in this service and in our common life. Because scripture is not of itself countercultural, but daily encounter with it will make us so. Living daily adjacent to scripture gives us power to resist the hubris that can come with admiring a colossal achievement such as the building of a building like this. By listening to Isaiah's injunction that teaches us however impressive our built environment and however much we should and must preserve it, clean it and develop it, it can only ever be a penultimate expression of the presence of the God we cannot see. And in St. Paul's perspective of the groans of creation, to remember that the Portland stone from which this cathedral was built contains fossils from the last ice age. What has happened to this stone over the last 300 or so years is only the most recent five minutes of its existence as part of our beloved and ancient earth created and loved by God. And the deep wisdom in St. Paul's words that recognizes the fundamental uncertainty that we carry when we pray. That words are in the end useless, although this knowledge will never stop us trying to speak. That music is of itself a language of the human spirit and doesn't need words to make it part of the praise of the whole of creation. In this spirit of adventure, of wonder, of permissiveness, to welcome people as they move between their identities as pilgrim, visitor, tourist, to sing anthems from the past, now, in the present, that call us into the future, we together can be signposts pointing towards the ever-creating creator to whose glory this building was raised, who in Christ was poured out for the life of the world he came to save, and in whose name we sing Alleluia as we thank God for the astonishing gift of life itself. Amen.